you know, the reason they, they like reading my stuff is that I've always got real life examples to prove what I'm saying. There's a lot of good people that listen to this podcast. You know, other than God and my family, deer hunting would be next in line on my list of priorities. From the bottom of our hearts, it's it's just fantastic and awesome to uh, to have the support that you guys are getting. People ask me about expandable broadheads and love swings. <laughs> Chasing Giants with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. Brought to you by Osseo Camo, nature's most lethal camouflage. Follow along as Don and Terry discuss the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Welcome, everyone, to the Chasing Giants podcast with Don Higgins and Terry Peer. It's episode 142, Don. I just rolled into town. Rutcation for so many people has started, but I'm afraid it's going to be the hot topic everywhere the next couple weeks, and we're going to dive right into it tonight and probably spend a lot of time on it, and that is this heat wave going through most of the Midwest for the first week of November. never I've never seen anything like it. No, the, the activity has been slower than I ever remember. Um, the last two mornings, I've hunted my home farm and have not seen a deer. And there's not a deer I want to shoot here, but I'm trying to get some video footage of some up-and-comers just for the history. And uh, I'm not even seeing a, a doe. So yep. I, I don't recall ever back-to-back days going – totally deerless on this farm well we're going to go through a couple different scenarios of what this means for hunters as we as we start talking about this but we have to tell our listeners this is actually friday night right so normally we're recording on sunday night and uploading sunday night we're recording on friday night this week and let's let's kind of walk through what the weather forecast is going to be because it's very rarely that you and i will miss a fifth sixth seventh and eighth in a deer stand mm-hmm. but it's it's really hot and tonight friday night through most of the midwest there's wind advisories uh, i just pulled into your house your big new flagpole out in front of the house it's a whipping out there yeah i think we're going to have gusts of 35 mile an hour winds tonight and tomorrow with rain coming in right so i came up tonight so we could record tonight mm-hmm. because even though the temperatures are going to be hot i'm going to pick your brain specifically about this after this front moves through, even though it's it's warm, there's still going to be a change in wind direction coming up the next couple of days and right after the rain. Talk a little bit about that because we're both going to take the morning off tomorrow and then try to hunt tomorrow night. Right. Well, tomorrow morning it's supposed to be raining and the wind's supposed to be, I mean, I've heard reports up to 60 miles an hour, um, at least 30 miles an hour. We'll put it that way. Definitely don't want to be in a tree. Um, so yeah, we're sitting it out tomorrow and then, uh, tomorrow evening, the winds are supposed to calm down and, and Monday the wind is going to switch and be out of the East for two days. And, uh, those two days just happen to be the seventh and the eighth. And anybody that follows along knows what I think of the seventh and eighth. That's the best days. And that's when you want to be in a stand. So we're going to have East winds for both of those days, which I just love because I got to get a lot of good stands for East winds. But uh, the temperature drop is only going to be maybe ten degrees. Not maybe. much at all. Yeah, not much at all. So we know you like we know you like those two days. We know you like east winds, but we do not like this warm weather. And I know it's the talk. Mm-hmm. Every podcast platform out there is putting putting information out there. But at the end of the day, um, it's a reality that we all have to deal with. So I want to I want to take a break and just we know what the weather is going to be the whole first week. I don't think we get a break 
at least here in Illinois, till maybe Friday when the temperature starts dropping down. Right. Uh, Saturday, what's the date on that Saturday? That's mm. seven days from today. Mm. <laughs> It'll be about the 11th or yep. 12th. So the whole first full first week of November, we got highs in the high 60s, low 70s, lows in maybe the high of the mid 50s. Mm-hmm. Let's just back up a minute because I think this ties into a, a great dialogue that we had in early October and that was watch your weather because if you get a cold snap in October it might be the best movement you see the entire season if you have a warm rut and at that point in time we had no idea it was going to be a heat wave right but I'm I'm sitting here and we've talked about it our our trail cameras have been absolutely dead Mm -hmm. you've you've hunted the last three days four days absolutely dead the most action we had on trail cameras was that cold snap we had, I think, the end of second week, beginning of third week of October, right. when the scrapes were just blowing up. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, even though the temperature is going to drop here with this front, the, we're so much above normal now, it, it's just basically going to come back to normal. Right. For this, And, and actually, it's still going to be a little bit above normal. Um, it's going to drop about 10 degrees, but right now we're about 20 degrees above normal. Right. So it's still going to be above normal. Um, you know, I seen it in 2020, the year I shot Mel. Um, we got that late October cold spell, and then it immediately warmed up. And that's when I shot him was the 30th of October. And then it warmed up for the next 10 days or so, and the activity just died. And that's what's happened here um today the last two days i did not get a single cell camera picture out of 12 cameras on multiple properties not a single picture during the entire midday so today i think my last picture that i got in the morning i there was just a few pictures too in, in this morning but uh, the last one was at like seven forty-one, i believe and then the first then there was not another picture the entire day until this evening at five twenty-five. So almost 10 hours throughout the day where there was zero deer activity. Where if it was, if it's 28, 30 degrees this time of year, we're going to see that activity pretty much all day long. That's right. when, that's when we're almost prepared to set all day if we need to. And just, just the weather is the only thing different. We could have the exact same moon phase and it'd be 30 degrees and it would yep. be, it'd be on. But, but I guess the, the point here is a lot of people have to take a rutcation. I think that's a term somebody came up with. I, I, I can't take credit for it, but you know, you got to plan family time. You got to plan work time. And I get it that you have to pick a week, maybe six months, a year in advance to say, I'm going to go out of state or I'm going to take vacation. But I think this, this even goes back and proves that if we watch that weather in, in October, we're learning the lesson of it here. I mean, mm-hmm. here I am uh, really wishing I would have tagged that buck in, you know, in, in late September because it's going to be really hard right now. So yep. that first cold snap, if you can swing it with family and work responsibilities, that's, that's probably going to be your best and maybe your only shot if, if the cards fall like they did this year. Right. Weather trumps everything. We, we've said that from the time we started this podcast, and I've been saying it for years. Weather trumps everything. It trumps the moon. It even trumps the rut. We're seeing it right now. It, it, the weather trumps the well, rut. You didn't have to order this weather just to prove your point. Well, you could have let us all have a little bit of fun yeah, this week. If I'd have had my way, <laughs> it'd be about 25 degrees colder right now than what it is. But So I, I've gotten a couple questions this week, and it's it's the same dilemma I am. I have vacation planned for this whole week mm-hmm. that I was supposed to be up here in Illinois. 
Um, there's going to be a little bit of a front move through, a wind direction change. If it gets to be Monday, Tuesday this week, I know these listeners are listening. We're, we're, we're kind of recording and talking about this Friday night, and they're not going to hear this till Sunday. But if it's still dead Monday with basically no daylight movement, I'm going back to work and going to take my chances the following week. What's the risk of making that call? Lockdown? Exactly. I'm going to make a bet, though. I'm going to bet that Monday when that wind and Tuesday when that wind's out of the east, we're going to see significantly more movement than what we've seen the last two days. Yeah. Now, I don't think we're going to see what we could if the temperatures were another right. 15 degrees colder. Right. But I, it's definitely going to pick up from what we've seen. Yeah. I think that middle of the week is the question mark. If, mm-hmm. it's, if it's on and we're seeing movement, I'm staying in Illinois, sleeping in your shed for four to five more days and telling Mama Casey, sorry, you got to ride it out another another four or five days with me. If it's dead, luckily, I know people don't have this luxury, but lug- luckily, I've already planned it and told my boss at work, hey, if that weather's bad, I'm going to come back to work and then push the vacation to next week and then... Hope hope for the best that those bucks are coming off their first doe out of lockdown and feeling froggy with cold temperatures. I don't know what else to do. Well, a, a week from today, it's supposed to re- we're supposed to get a real cold front. Um, I mean, the high is of snow. Yeah, depending on where you're at. Um, so, you know, it's going to drop twenty more degrees from this cold front. Yeah, um, and then it will be on. But by that point, most of the big bucks are going to be locked down with hot does. So uh, there's so many different directions we can go with this conversation and kind of just rules of thumb or lessons learned or tips and tricks. One of the other things that you get asked a ton, I get asked some, is say you're in an area that doesn't have real good hunting and you want to travel to go out of state. Mm -hmm. This is probably the single reason why I hunt this area for out-of-state hunting because I can be here in three to three and a half hours Mm -hmm. and I can react to that weather. I love going to Kansas. I've been out to Kansas two different times. Uh, Iowa is always obviously a uh, bucket list trip for a lot of people. But the problem with that, Don, is is that's nine, 10, 12 hours away from Mm -hmm. me. And I have to block that out and plan that. It's not a, hey, the weather's going to be great the next two days, call in sick, personal day. And driving the truck three hours, you you can't do that. So for the guys looking for a spot, this is a big this is a this is a perfect example of why having a property a little bit closer is awesome. I did the same thing when I drew an Iowa tag last year. So I had a couple of different options of where I could hunt. One of them was on the eastern side of Iowa, just barely across the Mississippi River, and the other one was clear in western Iowa. So the one on the eastern in eastern Iowa took me three and a half hours to drive there right the one on the the other side of iowa took me seven plus hours to get there and the whole reason that i picked the eastern side was just because i could get up in the morning and see that hey things are right for a certain stand i could jump in my truck and i could hunt that afternoon when it's seven eight hours away you can't do that yeah so that's something to consider too when you're planning your out-of-state trip you know it's conversations we talk about but we're setting in a a perfect situation of where Mm -hmm. that comes into play that you know you might be in kentucky and say okay well southern southern ohio would be a great spot yep because i could get there quicker if i'm pennsylvania 
instead of Iowa, look at Ohio, look at Indiana, you know. Um, I just, I think that right now is so many just kind of lessons learned because this is extreme. Mm-hmm. We, we, we tend to talk about a food plot failing and then you have plan B. What's your plan B when, when right. it's when it's uh, hunting in shorts and a t-shirt during the rut? I've just um, it's 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 tough on all of us right now. Well, I've wondered for years why these guys from the East Coast, Pennsylvania, you know, New York, Maryland, whatever. I, I've always wondered why those guys will drive all the way to Illinois, Iowa, Kansas when they drive right through Ohio. And all the Ohio residents right now are cringing. Yeah, that's probably true, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I've got property in Ohio. Um, Ohio is a fantastic state. Yep. And uh, especially if you can get on the right property, and, and that goes for any state. If you're on the right property in the state, you're going to have much better hunting than average for that state. And, and Ohio is just one that <laughs> I, I just can't believe all these guys drive right through Ohio, then through Indiana, which Indiana is, I, I don't consider that good of a a whitetail state although they produce some good bucks but they just their gun season is just way too long and right in the heart of the rut but you know these guys out east they need to take a close look at ohio because they could get there a whole lot quicker it cut their travel time in a third it's no different than and i shouldn't even say this on the podcast because i'm hurting myself it's no different than all these people driving all the way to western illinois when they drive through eastern illinois yep it's it's the exact same thing um Uh so i guess um you know this just brings up just a ton of topics and and we're all trying to balance stuff in our life Mm -hmm. that that's that's everybody's issue whether you do this full-time like you do where you you could if you wanted to hunt every single day of the year of, of the season, mm-hmm. uh, being self-employed and, you know, other people can't do it, but making, making yourself as flexible as you can during the hunting season right now would pay off big because otherwise you're setting somewhere and let's face it, this, what we've learned the last three days, you take a, you take a vacation and you're hunting right now, staying in a hotel room, paying for meals you're hunting basically a 30-minute window on each side of sunrise and sunset, and that's it. Yep. You're sitting there looking at squirrels the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's comfortable sitting out there when it's 70 <laughs> degrees. It's not like you're freezing, <laughs> but you got your choice. You can be out there in, in, in a T-shirt and not freezing and not seeing anything, or you can be a little bit uncomfortable and have a great chance at, at seeing a lot of deer. Yeah. So it's Friday night uh wind's blowing like crazy out there that's gonna come through uh try to it's i think it's supposed to rain starting in the middle of the night rain mm-hmm. through tomorrow um we're gonna meet Dwayne hopkins for breakfast in the morning visit with him a little bit and then if it's raining and not monsoon i'm gonna go check check a couple cameras and then be ready to make a game dime decision um uh, with my friend patrick simpson uh, on tomorrow evening based on what this rain and wind does uh, as this thing because it could fluctuate two hours to either side and, and really change the game plan. But if I'm not up here on standby, I can't react. So so that's why we're here. Well, I want to throw out another guess, and uh, by the time most people listen to this, I'll either be proven right or wrong. <laughs> but I'm not going to edit it out. So I would bet that once that front moves through tomorrow and that wind starts to die down, it might not happen till right before dark, but I'll bet you tomorrow night 
the deer moving like crazy. And I, I think it'll start, you know, like the last hour of daylight, the deer are just going to all get up and start moving. That That's that's kind of my logic in this. I don't know it to be right and wrong, but they've been dead and, and tied down, not mm. tied down, but, you know, just bedded down so much the last three days with this heat. They're ready. There, there's one thing that switches, and it's are they going to be froggy and get up? And, mm-hmm. you know, that rain's going to blow through, so they're going to want to go open scrapes up, you know, and check for scent. So um, I'm going to uh, – we got a couple different spots on scrapes. That's probably what we're going to do depending on exactly where the wind direction is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Sunday, basically riding out that same wind, but I think – Sunday through the day is where we're going to switch from what a south wind to a northeast wind, then back to east, mm-hmm. and that's what you're talking about. If we're going to have a, you know, a, a spike in activity, it's probably going to be on that. And there could be. I'm assuming there's probably a pressure change there. Yeah, too. there is. I was just getting ready to say that the barometer is going to rise too. So uh, there's a lot of things coming together Monday and Tuesday, the best days of the year. I say it every year, November seventh and eighth. Um, temperatures aren't going to be where we like them, but there's a lot of other things that are happening. So since we're recording on Friday night, we'll probably release, instead of doing it at Sunday night, I'll, I'll uh, set it up to release Monday mid-morning. So at least a lot of our listeners can listen to this during the day Sunday and hopefully change of plans and get out there if they can. Yep. Uh, looking forward to the following week, um, you know, high temperatures through that. Then we start getting in. Talk us through a little bit about this lockdown and and you made a really good analogy. I think it was I don't know if it was in a master class or a seminar, but basically you 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 kind of described for the people listening. They can't see my hands right now because this is really uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's basically like an upside down triangle. So you start with a big sample of all these does that are coming into heat. And these bucks are chasing around trying to find the first one of those does. Well, then they start getting bred, and it starts going like this and getting into a smaller population of does that are in. So these bucks break off of lockdown, and there's fewer does in, so they're covering more ground. This is where the same time, same place could come into effect. So as we start getting into this colder weather, we talked about it last week too, colder weather, deer breaking off of lockdown, annual patterns could be huge next weekend when that temperature drops yeah and you know what it's really going to get good is uh, thanksgiving week thanksgiving the the majority of does are bred during the middle two weeks of november Mm -hmm. here in the midwest anyway so you know we're leading up to that right now still um by the middle of this coming week there's gonna most mature bucks are gonna be with a doe right and through the next the following two weeks or so, they're going to be with one right after another, right Just after bouncing another. between them. But then after that, you start getting towards the last week in November, and they've got to do a lot more searching between hot does. And when they know it's about, they're mature. They've been through it before. They know it's about over for another year, and they're going to be on their feet cruising. I've said it before. Roger Rothar told me years ago. Thanksgiving week is the week to kill the Giants, the really big bucks. Because at the beginning of the rut, they don't really get too fired up until right before them does come. That's why the 7th and 8th are so good, because about the ninth or so, there's, there's hot does. But at the end of the rut, that's when they're they're spending more time searching than they really were. Covering a lot of ground trying yeah. to find it. Now, the bad thing is, is that comes, in, in most states, that doesn't happen until after gun season. 
So, you know, here in Illinois, the gun season is the weekend right before Thanksgiving, which is right before the week we're talking about. So if you're hunting public ground or pressured ground, you're probably not going to see what I'm talking about. But if you're hunting managed private ground, that can be just that, that can be the best week of the year. Yeah. All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break and listen to our friends from Osseo. And then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit about, um, I think, a statement or a tip or, I guess, insight that Dr. Strickland gave us. Uh, last year during a master class, I want to touch on that a little bit before we start answering questions. So stick around. We'll be right back. Osseo Gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched, pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit OsseoGear.com. That's A-S-I-O-Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear. Prepare to be invisible. All right, we're back. Don Higgins just did a wardrobe change for the second segment of the yeah. podcast. Whew, I was about to break out in a sweat there, Terry. Those hot temperatures came into this house. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not only hot outside, it's hot inside. We promise you he didn't have a code brown. He just got off camera and took a sweatshirt <laughs> off and sat back down. But yep. um, So I, I think um, to provide a lot of our listeners, probably we've picked up so many listeners in the last i mean our our analytic numbers are off the charts right now Mm -hmm. um but we've picked up so many new listeners i don't know that everybody's gone back and listened to some of the data that dr strickland talked to us about and one of the things that's still just it, it, it amazes me as i think about it is that dr strickland said that of a majority or a big percentage of the time that a doe has twins that those twins have different fathers. Right. And that is just amazing to me. And I think it puts into perspective how many different bucks will breed does while she's in heat in that short amount of time mm-hmm. that she could actually have two different fathers to, to, to twins mm-hmm. at the same time. And I don't think many hunters realize that um, or put that into perspective of how much these bucks are searching and moving and jockeying for hierarchy, fighting, trying to get that doe pushed out in big ag country, pushed out to a fence row or a tree mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere. That's just, it's amazing to me. Yeah, I don't recall exactly what that figure was where, where the twins have separate fathers, but um, it was significant. And if you think about it, you know, a doe comes into heat in every buck in the woods is capable of breeding that doe even some button bucks right could breed that doe so you know along comes a yearling buck and he's the first guy to, to latch on to her and he breeds her a couple times and you know here comes a, a three-year-old say well he runs off the yearling and he breeds her a couple times and then along comes you know mr big the five six-year-old he runs off the three-year-old and he breeds her and even though she's got two different fawns by or by two different sires or fathers, she could have been bred by five different bucks or right. 10 even, you know, who knows. But I think it just puts into perspective how much these bucks are just jockeying for that first doe right. that comes in, mm-hmm. you know, 
uh, a property might have a, 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 a small number of truly mature bucks that are going to whip every other buck's tail on the property. Mm-hmm. But he can't be with every single one of them at the same time. Right. So, you know, he's going from one to another to another. Well, there's still younger bucks that are filling the void, you know, uh, to, to breed these does that come in. And it's it's just amazing to me and puts into perspective, you know, how much these bucks really get around mm-hmm. uh, during the rut. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I tell the story back when I had the captive deer years ago that, um, you know, I was artificially breeding them every fall and I had a a technician that would come and he'd do the uh, artificial insemination on these does, but we would give them drugs to bring them into heat. So they all was in heat at the same right. time for this breeding. And there was one day we was, uh, and it's all timed right down to the hour. When it's time to breed them does, you got to breed. And we did it in the middle of night more than once uh, to get to that exact hour. But anyway, there was one time we was doing it in, in the morning and the wind was out of the West and it was blowing from that pen where I, I don't know, I had, six or eight or ten does that were all in heat and the wind was coming out of the west right through that pen and then it was going across my yard and then after it left my yard it was wide open ag country for a mile okay and uh, we're in my shed and and this guy's getting his microscope and his tools and equipment out and ready and we look out the the uh, window of the shed and and here comes this buck across that open ag country <laughs> right at at us right at, into the wind and, yeah right into the wind he had his nose into the wind he's coming he smells them does and he's coming and he's there at the road he, he walks right by my mailbox and was <laughs> crossing the road into my yard and, and i opened the door of the shed and, and walked out there and you know and he's like maybe 40 yards away he, he locks up and looks at me and he, he turns and, and runs back but he didn't want to leave you know he knew he what was, was going on yeah he, he was torn between me danger and those hot does but i'm telling you he smelled them hot does from a mile away because the nearest woods the direction that wind was blowing was a mile away yeah. and here he comes yeah when they um they, they just lose a little bit of common sense there for a little bit yep well, before we move on to the uh, segment where we're going to answer some questions today, let's let's uh, just give some basic hunting advice. On Sunday night, people are listening to it right now. We got a warm front coming in. If people's on vacation, um, are you still hunting? What's your recommendation? Still downwind side of bedding in the morning? Is that still what our morning set is going to do? Yeah, actually, Monday and Tuesday um, with that east wind. I have plans to hopefully spend the entire day, those two days in a row, in a stand all day long. Oh, you're going to sit all day, huh? That's going to be the plan. Now, Monday, I've got to move a stand. So I'm going to sit in one stand um, probably until about 10 or 11. Then I'm going to get down. I'm going to go a short distance away. It's only about 100 yards. And I got a stand that I need to move to a different tree. so I'll be able to slip in and get that done within 30 minutes or so. All right. So question is, is your plan to try to set all day based on what you anticipate as movement or is it the location and property that you're trying to minimize how much you're going in and out? Both. So, you know, it's the perfect time when those big boys are on their feet and, and right before they get hooked up with a hot dough and the location on the downwind side of that Doe bedding area I know is good. Um, even though the temperatures are going to be warmer than what I like, I don't expect to see a bunch of deer midday, either day. 
I'm just hoping to see the right deer one time. And the other thing that's going to play into this is we don't anticipate the deer filing out into the food plots or fields real early in the evening to feed because right. it's so warm. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of little logic of staying closer. Um, if you have green, obviously, and that's, you, you have that ability, probably green food source over grain right now. But, but um, yeah. I'm going to be in the cover. Both, both these stands I'm talking about, I'm going to be in, in thick cover, but I'm going to yep. be on the edge of that thick cover. Right. And and it, again, it's just with these temps. I just we're not going to see these. If it was if it was twenty five degrees, we'd see these deer piling out into the field to feed at at mm-hmm. two o'clock in the afternoon. Right. I don't. I'm going to be prepared to hunt all day, but if it shuts down, I'm out. I'm probably driving back to Kentucky. <laughs> well, that's probably the smart move because yeah. uh, the following week the uh, weather is going to be so much better that you're going to see a lot more deer the following week. Yep. Unfortunately. I think uh, some of the properties that we hunt up here, it's all or nothing too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know you, you've talked about the last, you said earlier, the, the last couple of days you've hunted on this farm. We always see deer when we hunt this farm. It's very rare for us to have two, two hunts in a row where we don't see deer. But a lot of places that we go to are such small tracks you could hunt there for four hunts and not see a deer. Yeah, it's very possible too. It's not like big woods in Ohio and everything where we're seeing deer constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a little bit different with with open ag fields. So, yep. All right. Anything else? Um, I want to move on to these questions and make sure we give enough time. We got four good ones tonight. Anything else you want to talk I about? I think we talked about the weather enough. So. We'll- it's 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 the uh, definitely the topic to the that everybody's uh, got posted all over social media. So it's the hot topic. The hot topic. I don't mm-hmm. know. Okay. Well, I did bring my early season Osseo, so I might be wearing the thinner clothing than what I wore all of October, uh, just because it's so warm this week. So well, you definitely don't need long underwear. Definitely don't. So let's tee up our first question. Um, I'm going to try to splice that up on the screen for the people watching on YouTube. Hopefully it works. If not, Don's going to read it off here. Okay, the first one comes from Billy Ayers from Petersburg, Pennsylvania. Um, He says, this question is for Don and Terry both. Have you ever had time during your life when you had to force yourself to go hunting? I am 46 years old and have been hunting since I was 12. Lately, I have to force myself to go out. I enjoy running trail cams, scouting, and hanging stands more than hunting. I have killed plenty of nice bucks and lots of does. Your podcast has helped my son and I kill the two biggest bucks we have gotten on the family farm we hunt. My son killed both of them. A 150-inch 10-point last year and a 132-inch 9-point two years ago. We do everything as a team, and it doesn't matter who kills them. Recently, a 28-acre section of the farm we hunt was sold without us even knowing. It was a section where my dad, myself, my son, and my daughter all shot our first bucks. Couple this with the way a lot of our local hunters act anymore, and then I have not been in a stand yet this year. Sorry for being long-winded. Just wondered if anyone else struggles with these things. It seems like Satan is working overtime. Thank you for using your platform for good. God is good. Thank you for your time. Um, well, Billy, I I really don't have to force myself to go hunting, <laughs> but I do understand um, – what you're talking about where the chase becomes more important than the kill. And you talk about, you have as much fun running the trail camera, scouting and all that. Um, I definitely can relate to that. Um, 
you know what? The older I get, the harder it is for me to shoot a buck, and even a big one. You know, I know where there's a couple 180-inch bucks right now that I have no intentions of of hunting or shooting this year because I look at them and I think, man, one good jumping antler and, and he could be 200 next year. So I just uh, – it, it's the chase more than the kill, and it uh, the older I get this, the more – the stronger that becomes – and it sounds like it's the same way with this gentleman too. That you know he's seeing his son shoot the deer, and, and you know I don't have a son hunting with me, but uh, I I have enjoyment whether I shoot a deer or not. And to be honest, uh, if it wasn't for my position in the hunting industry and the fact I make my living doing what I'm doing, I would probably shoot less deer than I do. And it's. You know, I hate to say that the hunting industry is causing me to shoot bucks that I wouldn't otherwise, and I don't think that's really it. It's just that, you know, if I wasn't in the public eye, it wouldn't bother me. It doesn't bother me anyway not to shoot, not to fill a tag, but it would it would mean absolutely nothing to not fill a tag. Well, there's going to be people that twist what you just said into something that's not what you meant. Regard, oh, regardless of whatever is said but we're going to get back to billy's question here in a minute but um you know i think transparency and honesty is something we both strive on on this podcast we don't Absolutely. try to hide anything you yeah. know i didn't have to tell any any everybody that i screwed up and should have stood up i just <laughs> it's but but that's that's part of it that's part of the story in our mm-hmm. journey the same way as hunters i think that's why they relate to what we're trying to do we're honest mm-hmm. and, and the question i have for you along the same lines of what you just said is I, I agree with you. I don't think you shoot something you wouldn't shoot otherwise. But being that your job is in this industry, do you put more pressure on yourself to perform than what you would if it, – it's hard to say that because you don't know what the other side feels like mm-hmm. anymore. But do, do you feel the pressure? Just an honest friend-to-friend question here. I've never asked you this. <laughs> Does what we do with this podcast, with you being a writer – um a consultant do you are you are you past that where you don't feel the pressure anymore or do you still feel pressure well you know i feel like i've pretty much accomplished you know enough that i shouldn't have to shoot shoot a deer to prove that i know what i'm doing i don't feel the pressure to kill a deer but i almost feel pressure to get video footage of a giant so yeah, I didn't get a deer this year, but look, I got yeah. I got these bucks on yeah. camera, and I yeah, could have shot every one of them. So the pressure is not there to kill. The pressure is there just a little. I mean, not not too much because uh, the older I get, the less I I care about what people <laughs> think. Um, you know, there's haters out there that, you, that no matter what you do, they're still. I, I could shoot a world record every year, and they're still going to be complaining about something, and. You know, the the pressure for me is, can I get that buck in range and, and get him on film? If I can get him on film, to me, that's as good as shooting him. I don't have to shoot him. I, I, I prove that I can get him there. Sticking an arrow in him is, is secondary. But I do, to answer your question, yeah, I feel a little bit of pressure to get some good bucks in front of me on film. And I think that in 
I'm not trying to hype Don Higgins here by any way, shape, or form, but I really think that's what kind of separates things a little bit because these celebrities that get in trouble, that's usually the point where they get themselves in trouble, where they cut corners or do stuff that's unethical or illegal Mm -hmm. to try to make sure that they do that in order for it to happen, whether it's revenue-based or pressure from sponsors. Um, No matter what, I think the takeaway of that part of the conversation, though, for any hunter is when you put that much pressure on yourself to perform, whether you're in the industry or you're not, you take the joy of the sport away from you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's like no deer is worth anxiety, temptation, betrayal, ending friendship, sabotage. There's not one deer that's worth that. And I'm a, we said it before, big bucks bring out the worst in people. They do. And, and for people to put a deer at that much of a pedestal, you're shortchanging yourself because it's going to take that joy away from you because you're, you're going to lose more than you succeed Mm -hmm. when, when you're really after it. Um, going back to Billy's question though, I think, (laughs) you're not going to like how I answer this question, (laughs) but I think one of the reasons why you don't, uh, you said you, you don't really have to, or you, you don't see what Billy's saying on the forcing yourself to hunt is I can appreciate it much more. Uh, you have so many different properties that you have access to hunt. And what he's tying to this question is something bad happened on a property and it's probably the only property they have to hunt. Mm-hmm. So the emotional side, you have bad stuff happen to you on properties that things don't go, they get sold or a trespasser or a poacher or whatever that's happened to you before, but you have a lot of other permission properties. You can just move on to another target buck. I can fully appreciate what Billy's saying here. And there's, there's either an emotional connection with that's where his dad taught him to hunt or something and something bad happened. And it's just, it, it, it's frustrating, it's emotional, and it's just, uh, I don't, it's, it's too painful almost. If, if that's your only property and something bad happens, I can fully see where Billy's coming from in that. Well, and I can also see, uh, you know, he said, uh, uh, where, let me find it here. Couple this with the way a lot of our local hunters <laughs> act anymore. And it's not just your local hunters, Billy. I'm telling you, it's everywhere. everywhere. This season, I have seen the most disgusting displays by fellow hunters that I've probably ever seen in my life. I've been, I mean, if if this wasn't a a passion (laughs) in my heart, and the good the good thing is, is it's good good that it didn't happen 20 years ago when I was a lot younger. it's probably a good thing it didn't happen three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably there's probably some truth to that. One of these days we're gonna disclose what all has happened this year. What one of these days we're gonna talk about it, but now's not and the right time. It's multiple things it's multiple people that uh people just don't have respect for other no. people anymore and uh and big bucks make people do stupid things. So, Billy, Billy, all I can say is you have to refocus on what's important. I, tr- I truly get after after a while. I've I've told I've told people uh, I bought that new tractor this year. I have more fun plowing ground, yep. and bush hogging, and taking care of the property than I probably do sitting in a tree stand anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But that's just where I'm at in my journey. And if I don't kill a buck, it's fine. But um, everybody's at that different spot it's it's so it does not surprise me one bit 
that you still really enjoy that side of it because the habitat side is so intriguing and you can see tangible results every day just by trail cameras. The yeah. hunting thing, I, I totally get, though. Um, when frustration happens, Satan's going to always bring temptation, anxiety, fear, uh, jealousy, all of those things. Because if it's something good that you enjoy, that you get joy out of, and especially you're using it to help others and, and have family uh, uh, friendships and everything else on the property, of course he's going to try to tear that away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I spent considerable time up until about a week ago on that new 40 acre property yeah planting trees and uh i have as much fun taking a property like that and scheming up ideas in my head of what i could do to this property to make it the best it can possibly be and then go in and do the work and watch it take shape over years and i posted pictures on social media today of an apple tree and a pear tree that still have fruit on them that I just took those pictures. One of them I took today, another one I took a couple of days ago. But, uh, you know, seeing that tree that I know I planted, producing fruit that I'm watching deer feed under those trees, and knowing that once I'm gone from this earth, my grandkids are still going to be watching deer feed under those trees, that brings me as much joy as as you know, shooting a deer. Right. In fact, shooting a deer anymore, that's when the work starts. That's when <laughs> yeah. you, you, you got to, then you got to go find another trophy buck to chase. Of, and yep. you, well, first of all, you got to get that buck out of the woods. You got to skin him out. You, you got to, you know, process him and everything. And so you got that work, but then the work starts of finding another one. And I'm telling you, when I shoot a buck anymore, there's some regret there, some sadness that, Man, I chased that deer, and I, I every time I would check my trail cameras, I couldn't wait yeah. to stick that card in there and Story's see if his picture over was there. Story's, Story's over. Story's over. Yeah, um, every, everybody's in a different spot, and to say um, how someone else feels will never be there. Yeah. We can just encourage everybody to enjoy the sport for what it is. You're going to have different goals than everyone else, but, um, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from, Billy. Stay with it. Um, I can tell you that, for guys like us that don't fish, we don't turkey hunt, we don't duck hunt, whitetail is what we do. Mm-hmm. And and when you get more into the habitat side, I think that's why it's so addictive for people. I think I think the habitat side is more addictive than the hunting side because it gives us something to do for our passion the entire year. Right. We do this, we do something for whitetail every single, uh, you do it every day of the year, I don't do it every day, but... Um, but throughout the year, every week, every month, we're mm-hmm. doing something for our whitetail. Yeah. There's way more to it than, than shooting deer. And I feel sorry for those, I don't even call them deer hunters, deer killers. I think there's deer hunters and there's deer killers. A deer hunter is a conservationist. He's given back mm-hmm. to the to the habitat, to the, the whitetail as a species. Um, the, the deer killer, all he cares about is, is going to Walmart, buying his tag and shooting a deer the fastest and easiest way that he can. Yep. And to, in my opinion, that's not a deer hunter. A deer hunter is a conservationist that also gives back. You know, um, we have a mutual friend out in Kansas that I was talking to, uh, recently and he has a young boy coming up hunting and he was talking to me about, he's not, he's not taking that little kid deer hunting first. He's teaching that kid how to be 
a, a land manager and, and an outdoorsman. He's going to make him start shooting squirrels and trapping. And I respect that so much out of people that mm-hmm. just, you know, because I made that mistake with my oldest daughter. I took her hunting. Her first deer was a high 150s non-typical, and it ruined her. And she doesn't hunt today because of mm-hmm. it. Um, but just such a fantastic approach to it. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to train that next generation and dig in those memories. I, I bet that's why Billy is, is a, you know, kind of a little bit upset because all those memories that he probably had with him and his dad that he referenced, mm-hmm. you know, kind of got soured with that deal. So right. we took that question a lot of different directions. So <laughs> we, we, better move, death, we, better, we better move on. <laughs> Okay, the next one comes from Bob Jones from Goshen, Indiana. Uh, He says, hi, Don and Terry. I would like to hear you weigh in on the topic of horizontal versus vertical bedding cover. Perhaps this is splitting hairs, but as a logger, I spend every day in the woods, and I have observed that deer prefer to bed among horizontal trees, blowdowns, treetops, etc., more than just in thick areas with only vertical stems. I'm especially likely to find beds under trees that are suspended horizontally, creating overhead cover. How does all this jibe with bedding grass? Thanks for all the info, Bob. Well, Bob, I'm not sure how it uh, how it relates to bedding grass, but I can tell you that your observation is spot on. Um, that's what, you know. One question I get a lot on with my consulting visits is is i'll have people log a timber you know this timber needs to be cut because it's mature trees uh, the canopy's closed so there's no undergrowth and it, so it's there's no thick cover whatsoever you, you need to log that that timber and harvest the the logs that you can and then everybody wants to know well what do i do with the treetops can i go in there for the next 10 years and cut them up for firewood or um, should I drag them all over and pile them somewhere, or what should I do? No, you should leave them, because that is fantastic bedding cover. As soon as that tree comes to the ground and you take the log out, boom, you don't even have to wait for the sun to come in and for something to grow. That treetop is bedding cover. And having them scattered throughout that timber, and then you have that second growth coming up th- around and through then those treetops. you tree get both. Tops. You get vertical and horizontal. Absolutely, and that's as good as it gets. Yep. Um, tying it to bedding grasses, you know, I don't know, there's – um, that grass, it, it seems like it's all, you know, vertical and standing up, but you get out there and, and it's, there's clumps of it that are laid over and this and that. I, I think, I think the grasses is totally different and it's not even, you can't even compare it to, to timber or to brush to woody vegetation because woody vegetation, you know, it's either vertical standing up, lots of little sprouts. Or it's laying over because somebody's taking a chainsaw to it, or a tornado, or some kind of a windstorm. But um, he, he definitely think, makes a great point that that I think uh, you could argue along the same lines that that's why cedars are good bedding cover for a period of time. But then once they get big enough that it's completely dead and wide open underneath of it, deer won't be there. Right. Yep. It's the same principle. You know, it's it's thick cover right beside you. Um, mm-hmm. Let's steer Bob's question a little bit differently. I got a, I got a spinoff question for you because we get we get these guys that say you're hunting in big ag country out in the Midwest and you can control your bedding so much better than big woods people. Um, if I'm listening to Bob's question correctly, this would be a way that you could manipulate big woods to create certain bedding in a certain area that you had access to. 
So you got all these woods everywhere. Well, you got to park somewhere. You got to walk in somewhere. I could go in and manipulate big timber the same way he just talked about, putting horizontal and encourage the deer to bed closer to where I want versus just scattered wherever in ditches. And well, I'm going to take this right back to the, your something you said on the previous question. Um, you know about the young man going to start his son hunting. Uh, you know, squirrels and probably trapping and yeah. other small game and this and that. Too many of today's deer hunters have never hunted anything but deer. Mm. They became deer hunters, and they're not woodsmen whatsoever. Yeah. And they don't know, first of all, they don't know what good deer cover looks like. Um, a lot of them can't tell you a, an oak tree from a maple tree, let alone a white oak from a red oak. Right. Um, being a, a, a good outdoorsman um will make you a much better deer hunter if you can go into the woods and you can identify different tree species if you can read sign from all kinds of critters you know hey that was a raccoon that did that or you know that was done by a coyote or that's a fox track you know not a dog track when you can put all that together you just see things totally different and you become a much better deer hunter it's one of the be- the biggest regrets I ever had is I never learned the trapping side of it. Mm-hmm. And it's still something I want to do. Um, one of your buddies, that's uh, he's all in. I don't know that yeah. I could keep up with him for it for more than a day. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's one of the things that's on my bucket list. I'd really like to learn a little bit more about trapping. But um, no, I just I think Bob's question is spot on, um, and and obviously it's a great dialogue piece that if you're you're hunting in big woods and that's all you have is woods you can still manipulate the woods to create better bedding cover mm-hmm. in certain areas that you can access with different winds yeah and now i know where i was going i took that down a rabbit trail and i forgot I'm trying to steer you back <laughs> trying to steer you back in here yeah so so these guys that uh you know all they've ever done is deer hunted and they're, and they're not really good woodsmen um you know, in, in ag country where you've got these woodlots and you've got open ag fields and such, it's very easy to see that the deer are going to be in the woods. This open field is just barren of deer. Well, it's the same thing in a big wood setting. The deer are just not evenly distributed over that big woods area. There's pockets where they're concentrated. And a good woodsman can can go through a heavily wooded area and he can know that this is an area where there's going to be a lot of deer. This is an area that's going to be devoid of deer. And it's not just the cover, it's the terrain. It's a lot of different factors coming in. But a good woodsman can walk through. It could be the whole county could be woods. And he's going to be able to pick out those pockets um, where there's going to be way more deer activity than others. One of the things Bobby Worthington's known for, isn't it? It is. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know Bobby Worthington, that's uh, one of the Dream Team members that uh, is doing consulting with Don um, here coming up this year. Um, yeah, I think I think that's a great question, great spinoff dialogue of it. Um, I don't know. I, I, I just think that um, a guy that recognizes that is obviously in the woods every day and has a different set of eyes. Like Bob said, I think he said he was a logger or worked in forestry. Well, loggers are fantastic deer hunters. I mean, these guys can read sign. They can they know every tree species. They're out there every single day. Ben Rising is a good example. He's a logger yep. and fantastic whitetail hunter. You know, those guys – 
they're more than just a deer hunter. They're they're conservationists. And they're scouting while they're out working. Uh, yeah. I don't get too much scouting sitting in my office behind a desk every day. I'm sure that helps them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's take a quick break and talk about Luster's feet for us a quick second. Um, our partner, but Matthews, they forfeit their uh, sponsorship spot every week. Uh, I had the privilege yesterday, and this is just such an awesome story. I had the privilege yesterday of during my lunch break driving up to Cincinnati Children's Hospital to visit our friend Braden. And uh, Braden is a 15-year-old boy that just beat cancer. So he had his nine-month checkup yesterday with all of his scans and got to be there with his family when they said, you're, you're clear. Awesome. And it was such an awesome story. Um, the donors of uh, for Lester's Feet were able to step in when Braden was first diagnosed and allow the family to really focus on taking care of him. Uh, the financial burden that comes along with a, a child with extended care is far beyond anybody could ever see just the miscellaneous expenses. But um, insurance doesn't cover everything, but the time away from work where parents have to focus on that kid is where we focus on in helping that. But the, the coolest part about Braden is, you know, there's other foundations that help these families. It's not just us. We just found our niche of how we help that mm-hmm. nobody else does. But Make-A-Wish Foundation helped the family also. So Make-A-Wish, you know, they go in with with, um, uh, different ideas for a kid that's battling cancer. Whatever you want within a certain degree. And most kids pick the Super Bowl or I'm going to Disney World. This 15-year-old kid said, I want a camper. Mm. He said, I want a camper that I can spend time with my friends and family in the outdoors and Make-A-Wish actually bought them a little single-axled bumper pull uh, camper. I was like, that kid's more mature than half of the adults because he's already got the perspective of what's important. Yeah, spending not, time with love. Not ones. blowing it on one trip to go see Mickey Mouse or mm-hmm. a, a football game of people kneeling during the national anthem. This 15-year-old kid said, I want a camper that I can enjoy time with the people most important with us. So, Braden, buddy, um, I told you I was going to mention you on the podcast tonight. I'm so happy for you. The only piece of advice that I gave him, I, I don't have any perspective of what it's like to fight cancer or, or do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I just said, forget being the kid that had cancer and beat it. It's over now. Be a kid. I told him God's going to find a way to use you for things that you can't imagine because look at me and Don. I mean, the, the, the sky's the limit as far as that, but that time will come. You'll know when it happens. Focus on being a kid, and this 15-year-old is, is starting to live a normal 15-year-old kid's life, and it just it's so awesome to see that. Unfortunately, a lot of families don't get to see that side of the success of it, but so happy it's an answer to prayer. Thank you to the donors of Lester's Feet um, that, that were able to help not only this family, but all the other ones on payroll right now. So, all right, let's move on to our third question from, uh, from Adam here. Uh, yes, the next one comes from Adam Robke from Germantown, Illinois. He says, Dear Don and Terry, thank you guys for all you do on the podcast. My question to you. Do you believe crops in the field will have an effect on bucks moving back to their fall stomping grounds? For instance, all of my property, there is still a ton of standing cornfields, and I have had only one of my bucks from last year that came back. I have found a few EHD deer around my property, but they were does. 
Hopefully the bucks didn't become any victims. Also, have y'all seen an overabundance of raccoon at all this year on cameras? Because mine are full of them. Thank you guys and God bless. Well, Adam, I do think that the fall harvest can affect bucks shifting their range. And the reason I say that is the buck I shot in 2017 I called Trump. He would stay in his summer range until the last crops were picked in that summer range. He lived in the cornfields, and I would get his picture there every fall, into the fall, until those crops were harvested. And when those crops were harvested, because the property he was on is owned by an out-of-state um, landowner. And the, the gentleman that farms that property is not a local. He has to drive his equipment in from a distance, and that's like the last crops he harvests. So those are the last crops standing in the whole area. And he would stay there on that property as long as those crops were there. But as soon as they got harvested, boom, that's when he left. And in years, you know, when they got harvested early, well, guess what? He shifted his range a little bit early. And late. And the same, and the same farm is always in corn and beans. They right. just flop mm-hmm. with a different section of the property. Right. But he always stayed there well until that corn was in. Well, and when they come to harvest, they will they will harvest the corn and the beans at the same time because when they drive all their equipment. Ah, so they bring both headers and yeah. change over the combine there because right. it's such a far drive. So in, in about two two days, they've got the whole farm harvested, both the corn and the soybeans, and that's when that buck would leave. And that's what makes me think that, yeah, some bucks, they're Depending shift. on their range, yeah. And, and that's when, you know, we really talk a lot about one of the things that, guys that chase uh, older age class bucks i think they fail to realize is how different each one is as an individual and i'm not saying that all bucks are going to shift with the crop change because they're definitely not but if you can pick up a trait like that on the buck you're targeting before the year that you're targeting well that tells you a lot and it it helped me kill trump trump that year because my plan was until those crops are harvested, I'm pounding this farm. I had three stands. I could hunt any wind except an east wind on that farm that year. And I, I pounded that farm day after day after day. Because um, you knew you had a window. As soon as yep. his crops are gone, he's gone. Exactly. And he covered a lot of a lot of open country, he too. He did. Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting topic. I, we might have to circle back on that uh, a little bit later. But, you know... <sighs> Every single little bit of data that you see through an observation or a trail camera of a potential target buck, say a three-year-old, that's why it's so important. You're learning all of these traits yep. um, because I think I think deer are just like people. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have our quirks and, right. and preferences. You know, I mean, you eat steak and shake cheeseburgers for breakfast. I can't do that. I would have a code brown by, by the time <laughs> I got out of the drive-through. If I tried to eat a greasy cheeseburger for breakfast, but it's just, we we work different, right? I think deer do too. Uh, No doubt about it. And if you're, you you take the guys that are consistently dropping the the mature, really mature bucks, the ones that are five, six, seven years old. I think most of those guys realize there's a, each one is just a little bit different. And even two mature bucks on the same property may utilize that property different. Now, there's going to be things that they do the same, but, you know, one buck may get from point A to point B using one trail, 
And then the other buck, he takes a different trail. Or using bedding different. Exactly. Or, yep. Yeah, that's that's really neat. All right. Well, let's finish up with the last question of the night. Okay. The last one comes from Ethan Jansen from Ridot, Illinois. He says, Dear Don and Terry, I am looking to buy a farm of my own, and I had a thought I don't think I've ever heard you address on the podcast. When buying a farm for mature buck hunting, do you consider the bucks that are already on the farm or in the area? Is there a good way to know what kind of bucks are in the area with not being familiar with the area and not having access to trail camera info? Do you have any advice for a first-time farm buyer? Thank you for all the advice you guys hand out freely each week on the podcast. God bless. Um, Well, Ethan, I, I don't pay any attention whatsoever to what was there before. I know a lot of real estate agents and a lot of buyers get really wrapped up and, oh, look, this farm has produced this or this farm has or produced trail that. cameras from Yeah, or tra- trail cameras that well, we don't even get into some of the tricks they play <laughs> with the trail cameras. But well, I'll just go back to my point is that I don't pay any attention to that because I it's way more important how that farm lays out because if you get a farm that lays out good – you're going to have a lot easier time taking bucks on that property to older age classes. And genetics is something that uh, you have no influence over. There's nothing we can do about the genetics. What's there is what's there. But as these bucks are are, uh, relocating, you know, those yearling bucks are are finding a new home range when their mother kicks them off, you know, at, at about the time of their first birthday, you're going to have new genetics wandering in to your farm from all over. And the key is being able to take as many bucks as possible to the older age classes. You're going to get some good ones. And uh, if if you're able to, to grow them on, then odds are you're going to get some giants. So this is a fundamental difference of looking for a property to buy versus a property to lease. If you're mm-hmm. looking to buy a property, most likely, unless you're one of the guys flipping properties, you want to you're there for the long haul, just mm-hmm. like you did with this farm. 30 years invested in making sure manicuring and trying different ideas versus a lease. You're going in and saying, what's there now? Because I'm probably a limited window. I don't know what the average lease duration is in the Midwest, but I'm guessing probably a five-year lease would probably be a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's completely different mindset of looking for a property to hunt. Am I buying it? Now, if let me ask you this. If you're buying a property – what are the obviously i think the number one thing we look for is what are the neighbors doing Mm. how does it lay out and what are the neighbors doing you could have the best farm in the world but if the neighbors are it's brown it's down you're never going to make a good impact unless it's a huge number of acres well i've said before what's most important when you go to buy a property is what lays around it because you can you can change what's on the property if it's all woods and you can clear out as many acres of food plots as you want if it's open ag fields you can plant them ag fields and in trees or switchgrass and you can create bedding cover but you've got no control over what goes on outside the the boundary of your property and but what lays outside your property can have a major impact on the property itself and you just gave a, a very negative example. You got neighbors shooting everything that they're going to affect your property. On the on a positive side, if you've got you know a property that lays next to a, a big no hunting sanctuary, several hundred acres or even more, well, guess what? That that's your 
nursery to to produce it makes all your farm bucks. hunt a lot bigger than what oh, it is absolutely and you can have a whole lot easier time raising older age class bucks because that sanctuary is basically doing it for you and then then you really look at your project with your property is kind of two steps number one is change and develop the habitat to attract and hold deer once they're there, if you're hunting it right with good access and not putting a lot of intrusion on, then you start letting them grow into older age classes. That comes along with it. But you right. have to get the property first to where deer want to be there and yep. they don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. You're providing everything they can with no intrusion, and then every year you get a little bit closer to having that age structure and then backfilling it with younger bucks. Yeah, I wish that when I started on this farm 30 years ago that I I would have had the foresight to video document everything. If you could have seen this farm when I started, if you drove by on the road, you know, today right there north of my old house, you can't see 20 feet off of the road into that thick brush. But when I started, you could see entirely through the property, clear to the back fence. You could even see the field on the other side of the fence. There was nothing there. So all of our young listeners need to understand that if that would have happened, that would have been back in black and white TV days. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the the video camera would have been about the size of these chairs we're sitting on. It took three guys holding on their shoulders. But if if I could, have, if I would have had the foresight to video document that. Um, it would be real eye-opening well, it was today. Cow pasture. Yeah, that's all it was. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't hardly hit a rabbit in there, but it would have give today's land manager basically a blueprint for what can what can happen. Yeah. And you know, now I'm I'm 59 years old, so I'm trying to really push things on this new 40, for example, because I know. You know, in 10 years, I'm 69. How many 70-year-old guys are out there doing what we do? There's not not too many. I'm guessing you're going to be one of them. I, I probably will be, but, you know, my clock's ticking. If, if you're in your 20s or 30s, man, you guys, you got a golden opportunity. The The bad thing is I wish in my 20s and 30s I had the, the finances that I do today to do it, which most of us don't. And yeah. You know, people say they can't relate to me because of that, but the fact of it is, I bet I started poorer than most of our listeners, and I made it happen. And if you want to look down on me because I made it happen, I guess that's your problem. But um, I, I think it's really it, it should be an example for those who today can't afford a property. Um, they should look at me as an example of man, that dude was dirt poor. Had his ele- he's so poor, he's had his electricity shut off at his house multiple times, and yet look what he's done today. Yep. If I can do it, I promise you anybody out there can do it if they if it's in their heart. Yep. We can, I tried to get his wife, Robin, who's in the next room, to make an appearance on the podcast, but she wouldn't do it. But I'm sure she could vouch for you <laughs> yeah. how much sacrifice over the years the entire family made for your dream. And, you know... Um, it's, everybody's in a different spot. I get it, but it's, it's, it's not that anything here was handed to either one of us, um, whether it's the business opportunities that we've developed together, um, our careers or whatever we've done. Um, I, I don't shy away from that, even though the haters kind of, you know, you frown on us and say stuff about it. I'm, I'm proud of what I've been able to accomplish, what you've done, what we've done together. Um, we've, we've worked 
really, really hard since we became friends in a lot of different opportunities, and um, we, we've worked hard, and uh, I'm proud of that. I, I'm not going to shy away from that. I, I'm very proud of it, too, and I'm also proud of the fact that uh, what we've done with our platform. Yeah. And people can badmouth us all they want, but, you know, I don't see – I'm sure there's there's plenty of people doing good things on this earth, but you know, I, I just I, I'm just almost speechless because I never dreamed I would be in this position where I could help others the way we have. Yep, and 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 that wouldn't happen without our listeners and, exactly. and all of all of you people who tolerate us. We're not professionals. Um, we we fumble on words a lot. We don't know how to edit video production real well. We're as raw as you can get. We get moody. Uh, we get upset <laughs> at the haters. I mean, people are picking apart our lives and attacking our families. I mean, of course we take offense to it. And you guys are there with us, putting up with us. But we're just real. Um, we hope that uh, you guys continue to support us because we're just trying to give back as much as we can with this thing, and I think God's honored that and going to continue to blow it up even more beyond what we know. Well, I hope so. I know someday Satan comes at us pretty hard, but usually, you know, when he does, that's because he knows God's got something big right down the road. Yep. So, again, we couldn't do this without all of your all support. I said it earlier in this podcast, the amount of new listeners that have started signing into this is grown exponentially. I don't know if it's a social media. I'm not a smart person, so I don't know if it's social media analytics recommending it to a bunch of people once you get to a certain spot. But um, you guys leaving reviews, commenting down below if you're watching on YouTube, all of that stuff helps us support the people that we try to give, and then the uh, the content that we try to put out. And, Don, you, you, you mentioned this a little bit, and I'm going to come back to this. Being a woodsman, mm-hmm. I see a new category on the Whitetail Master Academy about being, yeah, a, wo- a, good idea, being a woodsman, not just deer hunting, but we got a lot of these guys that are subscribers to your platform. I don't have a thing in it. But I'm just sitting back thinking, I'm a subscriber, and I have a sign-on, and it would be awesome to have a woodsman category of this that I could sit down with my kids or a young hunter that I'm mentoring and say, hey, watch this video about tree species or whatever mm-hmm. you do. I think that would be an awesome category for uh, you to that's consider. That's a great idea. I don't, oh, yeah. I, I don't even want to cut of that one. I will, uh, <laughs> I'll see if I can get Steve Shields to follow you around for about 30 oh, okay. days. Well, um, if Steve wants to film content on uh, what little Debbie's to pack during rutcation, <laughs> uh, he can come and I'll provide a real good selection of opportunity for him. So You know what? We might have a new sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> we need to see if little Debbie will sponsor our podcast. I'll make a post every hunt this week about which little Debbie is sponsoring the specific hunt. How about that? Take a picture. All right. Will do. All right. Thanks for the support, everybody. God bless. Have a good week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Via Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week 
for another episode of Chasing Giants. Chasing Giants.